Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode number 10. So for today, we're going to talk about habits and this makes me so happy because I will admit <laughs> I am a little bit of a habits addict. Um, this is maybe, right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? Yeah, this is so like when you said it, I was like, oh, yes, we can do habits for sure. Um, because the creation of good habits makes life easier and better, mainly because you can, they allow you to think less. And I'm a really, really huge fan of thinking less. <laughs> um, and interesting, someone who is a particular favorite of both you and me is Gretchen Rubin, who has written um, Happier at Home uh, and the oh, Happiness Project. Happy, happiness Project. Um, and she actually released a book on habits last year. And I will admit, I did not rush to read it because I thought I'd read everything already there was to be read on the topic. And I, I couldn't see that there was anything else to be learned. Um, but Gretchen being Gretchen really hit on something interesting in her book. She came up with a framework that explains why some people are able to be to create more to, sorry, I'll say that again, why some people are able to create good habits more easily than others. And um you interviewed her for the Slow Home podcast recently and she shared that framework with you and then gave you a personal counseling session. So <laughs> tell people about that because it was awesome. It was such a good conversation. Um I had only recently read Better Than Before before I, uh, I interviewed Gretchen and taken the, the Four Tendencies um, quiz on her website, which we'll link to in the show notes. But uh, so, I, you know, I spoke to Gretchen. We got into the idea of habits a bit and then she walked me through this framework that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And basically it, it distinguishes how people respond to expectations either outer expectations like a deadline or, you know, a request from your partner or a friend, and then inner expectations such as write a novel in, you know, in my free time, keep a New Year's resolution, get up and go for a run by myself sort of thing. (laughs) Um, And while how we respond to these expectations might not sound like it's particularly linked with habits, it really is quite closely related because I mean according to Gretchen and like this is a whole other conversation I'm not huge on putting labels on ourselves (laughs) whereas I love labels yeah but and I think but in this instance particularly just in regards to one kind of area it does actually help if not you know fix the, the issue completely it does help clarify things and it did for me at least but for Gretchen there's four kind of tendencies when it comes to habits in relation to how we we deal with these expectations. There's an upholder, which is someone who responds really readily to both inner and outer expectations, and that's you, Kel, you're an upholder, which is why you get so much done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's questioners, and I have a friend who's a questioner, which is really interesting. my husband is a questioner and just quietly drives me insane. Yeah, right, okay. See, um, I think Ben has a questioner tendency, um, but anyway, I'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, but they question all expectations. So they'll do something if it makes sense, but it, like they'll kind of look, get right into it. Go, does this actually make sense that this, ex, you know, that someone has this expectation of me, or I have this expe- expectation of myself? And if it does, 
then they'll meet those expectations. Yes. That's what like, the question do, is. Do you need, do I actually need to go to this meeting? Is it actually yes. important for me to attend this meeting? No? Okay, then I won't do it. Um, so that's a question. There's obligers and I'm an, I'm an obliger. I will meet outside expectations, a deadline, a request from someone else. But I, I really struggle to meet inner expectations um, you know, like things. self-imposed deadlines exactly. or self-imposed like, you know, you need to change this thing. Exactly. And I really, like really struggle. Yep. Uh, and then the, the fourth is a rebel who is someone who resists all expectations. So <laughs> I would assume that being a rebel would be the most difficult person to kind of try and wrangle your habits. But um, they're really the four tendencies that Gretchen talks about and one of the reasons I found it so interesting and one of the reasons our conversation mine and Gretchen's conversation devolved into a a bit of a counseling (laughs) session (laughs) Um, is because Ben my husband and I we're every month this year we're doing an experiment a different kind of experiment every month that sort of taps into slow living and you know health and, and well-being and mindfulness and all that kind of stuff and it's been really interesting being February to see how I react to these different, you know, habits, I guess. We're, build, we're building habits uh, in these experiments. And she had some really uh, <laughs> interesting <laughs> insight. So I, I took the, the quiz and I'm an obliger. But I also have this tendency, which Gretchen says is actually quite common. Normal, yeah. Yeah, for an obliger to then just go full out rebel at some point when they've had enough, when they've burnt out, when they've said yes to too many external requests, when they've tried desperately to meet external you know, expectations uh, time after time after time and give ourselves nothing or continue to, to kind of balk at our own internal expectations, we just hit rebel, you know, rebel um, mode mode and she calls it um she calls it a blarger rebellion yes and which, you can and you can totally see it well you i know you totally saw it in your own behavior yeah because like, i mean last point. year for example i just it was a year of saying yes to two like way too many things mm-hmm. and they all blew up in my face and my way of dealing with it looking back <laughs> on it now i understand i kind of hit this rebellion mode and I stopped answering emails and I shut things down and I started self-sabotaging <laughs> as a way to kind of get out of these things. And that's quite typical when an obliger over-obliges and under-obliges, you know, with their own internal needs and expectations. So I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. And what I'm discovering is that as an obliger, it's much easier for me to stick to these changes when I've got accountability built into it. I always balked at that idea, but it just depends, yeah. I guess. It's how I've, I've structured it. The fact that my husband's making these changes with me is really helpful because if I don't want to do it, if I decide that I'm going to cut a corner, chances are he will pull me up on that. And yeah. that's really, really helping. It's also helping that I've got, you know, people listening to our podcast and keeping yeah. me on track and asking <laughs> there, me how it's going. That's a fair bit of con- accountability <laughs> there as well. It's interesting because um, I know Gretchen said that as an upholder and the whole reason that she developed this framework is because she couldn't quite – so she's an upholder as well. Um, and just as a reminder, an upholder is someone that equally is able to meet other people's expectations and their own as well. So, And I know that she's mentioned that she had no – she couldn't quite figure out why making new habits – was really easy, relatively easy for her, 
and so many other people really seem to struggle with it because they're like, you know, okay, it's time to quit. You know, I want to quit sugar. Like, so when I quit sugar five years ago, I found it relatively easy. I decided I was going to do it and I followed the program and I did it. And I've maintained that habit for five years. Um, and, you know, all these other good habits, so, you know, daily exercise habits, daily writing habits, like I've just, you know, I didn't have anybody hanging over my head going, you need to do this, you need to do that. Like, you know, they were all things that I just said to myself, you need to do this um, and I did it. Um, so, upholders typically can't quite understand why other people in the world find it difficult to form these kind of habits and so that's, and then that's where Gretchen's framework came out of and I found it really, yeah, I find it very useful now because it helps me help other people. So my husband's a questioner and if I want him to get into the habit of having a green smoothie every morning, um, it's not just good enough for me to just go, you have to have a green smoothie every morning. Like he's like, no, well, why? What's yeah. the benefit? What's the of benefit it? of doing that? Yeah, and, and he'll, you know, so you have to kind of send him research and give good, really good reasons. And once he's got in his head that, yeah, there's a really good reason and really legitimate reason for doing this, then he'll do it. It's the mm. same with sugar. Like mm. I quit sugar five years ago. He didn't do it until he – and I obviously had been telling him about it and he just couldn't – you know, he was like, yeah, whatever. It's, uh, I just don't really see the point. And then we went and saw that sugar film and when he saw that sugar film, that really like – he went, wow. And the next day like he hasn't eaten cereal since kind of thing, you know, Um and he really made massive changes based on seeing that, you know, getting educated via that movie. So if you've got a questioner in your life and you and they they won't engage in habit change, what you have to do is really get them researched up. And once they actually understand the benefits of it, they'll do it. And then as you've mentioned, you know, if you've got an obliger in your life and you're frustrated with them because they never seem to be able to follow through with anything, it's because they they need that external accountability. Like obligers don't tend to hold themselves internally accountable. So and rebels, like yeah, I don't know what to do with rebels. I like they just, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I know any rebels. Um, I think they're quite rare. I um, yeah. like a true rebel. I think is quite rare. I'm pretty sure that's what Gretchen said. Yeah, um, but she did say that upholders and rebels are. Very, both similarly rare, and mo- a lot of people, most people are obligers. Yes. Um, and then the next, next most common is questioners. But yeah, I really love the framework because I just feel like from I, I've written about habits a lot on my blog, um, and I just know from the point of view of making it easy for people to follow through on some of the things I've suggested. If they know what kind of person that they are, if they know they're an obliger then they can go and seek out somebody to hold them to accountable to this habit change. So it's kind of, you know, whereas if they're a fellow upholder, then they know that they can hold themselves accountable because they'll just do whatever they tell themselves to do. Um, I think so it's I just, equally as helpful to understand and be able to speak the language of other people around yes. you. Like that that has been helpful for me because, I mean, Ben is a, an obliger just but really kind of borderline between that and a questioner. And when you were talking about that sugar film, as yeah. our first experiment of the year is giving up sugar for a month uh and he was fine happy to do it but he kept saying to me i really need to do more research and that was really his motivation when we watched that sugar film uh, a couple of weeks ago 
and the same reaction. He he was always happy to do it, but now this is actually something that is going to stick beyond the month. I can already tell that yeah. uh, you know that that he him understanding why has has really helped him to kind of grab onto it and take ownership of this this change. So I think yeah, it's and that's key with habit formation, isn't it? Is really taking ownership of it because yeah. if someone's just telling you to do something and you're doing it because someone's told you to do it, then you're probably not going to form a lasting habit. You might make it, you know, you might do it for a month and then quickly fall off the, what is it, the bandwagon, yeah. the wagon, <laughs> quickly <laughs> fall off the wagon. Because, um, yeah, obviously I've done a lot of research on this and, you know, people like to say it takes 21 days to make a habit stick, et cetera, et cetera. There actually is no set time for how long it takes for a habit to take hold. Um and another thing that – so an easier habit like, I don't know, drinking water, every, you know, one glass of water every morning, that's a really easy habit. So you can make that a habit in, you know, three days. Um, other habits like, um, you know, eating vegan, um, <laughs> that might take two months because you've got to do so much learning. You've got to relearn so many things to take up, you know, the vegan way of eating. So yeah. just in case anyone's out there going like, how long do I have to do this for before it becomes a habit? Like there is actually no set period of time. Um, and the other really interesting thing that I've learned along the way is that habits, those habits that are really hardcore habits that are hard to break, um, which is seldom good habits, just quietly. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard too many people say I really no. need to break the habit of this eight hours a night. It's just, I know. It's I really just damn tough. habit. I can't get out of the habit of exercising every single morning. I wish I could, you know, get on top of that. It's <laughs> <laughs> yoga yeah. habits getting in the way of life. <laughs> so these habits that are really, really hard to break, they are actually driven by cravings. So if, if there's a craving involved, so what happens is with every habit, the habit loop is you've got um, a trigger, a cue, and then the action. I hope I said that right. might be wrong. Um, but so brushing our teeth is a habit that is strongly ingrained with pretty much every single person I know. And the craving of that's driven by brushing our teeth is not like, oh, my teeth are going to be really nice and clean before I go to bed. It's actually that it's that feeling, that tingly, fresh clean teeth feeling that drives us to the bathroom before we get into bed and we can't you know if you're like me you, if you're lying in bed and you haven't brushed your teeth which would be really weird um you'd probably be driven out of bed seeking that feeling of tingly fresh teeth um and interestingly there's something built into toothpaste to give that tingly fresh taste it, like toothpaste doesn't have to actually tingle there's actually like an irritant in there that causes that feeling. <laughs> well, wow. um, yeah. So, <laughs> so this is why something like lacing up my shoes every morning to go for a run is not like a really deeply ingrained habit because um, while I do crave in general the feeling of being fit and healthy, it's not strong and ingrained like that. So, say you know if you see a cupcake, like you don't have to taste the cupcake to. Um, get the response in your brain of, oh, my God, that's going to be so delicious. Like you just have to see the cupcake to get that feeling and that's why it's hard to resist cupcakes. Right. Um, and this brings into um, play something that Gretchen, another kind of little framework that Gretchen created where she talks about the difference between people who are abstainers and people who are moderators. Um, and I'm an abstainer. It's much, much easier for me to 
go without something entirely than to only have a little bit of it. So it's that whole thing of like those people who can eat like two squares of chocolate from a block and then put, you know, then fold it back up and put it in the fridge for tomorrow. Like who can do that? Like I can't. (laughs) Um, If I have one square of chocolate, then I'll have another and then I'll have another before I've eaten half the block. Um, So it's much, much easier for me to not have any chocolate than it is to expect myself to only have one little bit. Um, And that's another thing that if you understand about yourself. So if you are truly a moderator, then you can get away with like only ever having a little bit of something. But if you're trying to eat, you know, eat more healthily, when I try to eat more healthily, I just don't have anything. Like I don't have sweet, I don't have the occasional sweet treat here and there. I just, it's easy for me to not have it than to just say, okay, I'll have I'll have it three times a week, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. I think I'm I'm I swing between the two. I don't think I fit into either camp particularly well because what I find is once I've broken um a habit, like a, a bad habit, say, of eating, you know, too much chocolate. Yeah. For example. <laughs> uh I don't know how to describe it. Like if if there was a, a, a block of milk chocolate which I don't buy because I eat it yeah in my house I would eat one square and think well that's enough and then I'll go back and go, well the second square is not gonna hurt it's fine you know and then there's three lines gone and then the whole yeah. block's gone in like a day um but once I break that habit that mindless habit yeah I become a moderator and I'm fine to have one square of chocolate one square of dark chocolate if it's milk chocolate, I don't know. There's something in there. I swear there's crack in there or something. <laughs> because that's not possible for me to stop at. And it's not even because I'm like, this is the most delicious thing ever. It's just this this behavior that kind of ticks in when when I'm eating milk chocolate. Um, well, we got to keep remember that a lot of foods are actually engineered to a bliss point. That's right. That so drives I drives that behavior. So it's, food's not engineered for us to go, okay, I've had two blocks of chocolate. That was yummy and now I can leave that be. Like food's engineered to make us go, I need to have more of that. I'm full but I need to have more of that. That's like, right. So I think if I cut that kind of stuff out, which is basically what I've done this past month, I now am quite confident in the fact that I could sit down and have a, a one square of dark chocolate, really enjoy it and that's it. Because first of all, I've changed the behavior so it's not milk chocolate. It's yes. not that, that thing that is just going to drive me crazy. It's a modified behavior. And I've broken that habit, that, you know, that, that circle, that, 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 that habit loop. Because that's what exactly. Charles Duhigg in his book, um, The Power of Habit, which I really highly recommend everybody read. It's one of those books where you go, well, that's too big. I'm never going to get through that. Um, but it's just it, it just employs really really powerful storytelling through to get his message across, and it's just amazing read. But um, he says so. There's a habit loop, which is so it's cue, routine, and reward. And if you're trying to break a habit, which is actually quite hard to do, and I um, and I'll mention this later, where it's easier to kind of take to override a bad habit with a better one. Um, but what he says is, you know, so you've got cue, routine and reward. So you change the routine, which is what you've just said there. So the cue is mm, there's chocolate on a table. You change the routine to a different way of dealing with that chocolate on the table and then your reward is whatever, you know, um, virtuousness for only having eaten two blocks instead of the whole <laughs> the whole block of chocolate. But, yeah, there's, there's so many 
so many ways to come at habit formation and certainly understanding your triggers and then swapping out the response to that trigger is a big one. And I know for me, so I actually wrote about this in my blog that, you know, the reason that you're overwhelmed is a really bad habit for a lot of people and it certainly was a bad habit for me. And the reason for my overwhelm was primarily my inability to say no. So, so for me, the trigger was the ask. So every time somebody asked, somebody, um, asked me something, my routine was to say yes straight away. And my reward was, oh, I'm helping somebody. This is so amazing. <laughs> like, and man, you can only imagine how strong a habit loop that was. Um, so what I had to do was when the trigger of the ask happened, I re- swapped out my usual response of yes with a response of let me get back to you. And that allowed me to literally get back to them and go away and have a think about, am I really going to say yes or no to this? Is it appropriate for me to do that or not? And that you know, took a while, but I've successfully now broken that habit of saying yes to everything. But it's a very easy habit to fall back into because mm-hmm. it's like you break the habit and you've gotten in and everything's nice and you've got lots of free time in your life now and suddenly it becomes easier to say yes to people on the site because you know that you've got time and then before you know it, you're back in that overwhelmed place again. So I think the other thing to understand with habits is that you can override them with good ones but you can just as easily fall back into the bad habit and just not to beat yourself up for doing that, just go back to what you know worked the first time. And so that's what I do. I fall back into that habit of saying yes and then I just go, right, you know what to do here. You go back to that, you know, replacing that response of yes with that response of let me get back to you. And, yeah, it just makes things a lot better. Yeah, I think we do beat ourselves up when we backslide. I mean, yes. it happens. The thing that I've And it will happen. Like it absolutely uh, – I just tell people like so they know now, it will happen. So, you know, there's no point – beating yourself up that's about right it. don't be surprised about it and don't yeah. be upset about it because it's going to happen i don't think you're the only one like that's it's... right um and i think part of that is even though when we instill habits you know we take a willpower out of it in quite a lot of yes. ways because it becomes a habit you don't have to rely on your willpower to say no to the chocolate because you just know that you you don't eat chocolate so it's not a question anymore it's a behavior that just continues day to day so willpower isn't as bigger part of it. But I do think that if you're if you're busy, if you're stressed, if someone is sick, mm. if there's other things going on, your decision making muscles, your you know, and, and these are newly formed muscles, newly formed habit muscles. They're not going to be nearly as strong as the older ones. So it's understandable that if you're stressed, if you're under pressure, if you're, you know, overwhelmed by other things, you might backslide. It's not an excuse. It's not, you know, it's not a, a it's not permission to go and gorge yourself <laughs> on chocolate. But, it, you know, I do find that if I take on a lot of things or if just by circumstance I'm I'm really busy, that those habits do falter. And I, I just try not to beat myself up, beat myself up over it because, you know, you just understand there's other things going on. It's OK. Uh, you know, I do like James Clear's advice of if you if you know that you can't get outside for a you know an hour long walk instead of saying oh my god I screwed up like I, I that's it I'm done you know I'm a failure <laughs> yeah. he says to reduce the scope and stick to the schedule so rather than saying I've got to go out for this hour long run and if I don't do that then you know I suck 
go for a 10 minute walk instead you know, reduce the scope make it a much more achievable goal for the day and stick to the schedule if you can't do your full workout go and do 10 sit-ups 10 push-ups and you know 10 crunches yeah. like whatever lunges and you've done something so you you maintain the habit of doing it you've just reduced the scope for that day or that period because you know you're overwhelmed uh, i do really like that but yeah. when you know in the case of a backslide kind of go well okay it happens i'm here it happens and, exactly. and just starting and tomorrow's a new day and a lot of people go well that's it I mean, especially with dietary stuff a yes. lot of people go oh well that's it it's all over i just i i can't do this it's too hard Where's and the then chocolate? yeah and <laughs> it's just like okay today was not a good day but tomorrow start again yeah. and then if shit goes down tomorrow start again the next day but a lot of people get in their idea it has to say, I have to start it on you know, the first day of the new year or I have to start it on the first you know first day of the month the first day of the week you can start the habit anytime mm-hmm. it you know you know you just have to you just have to get your head around the why um and under, I think understanding the loop that's involved the habit you know the, the trigger for why you do certain things like I've given up coffee this month as a little experiment, wow. my one single vice for because for all my talk about chocolate, I actually don't eat chocolate because I can't because I'm dairy intolerant. So, <laughs> like, there's you know, I've given up a lot of stuff. And when I say given up, I've given it up willingly because I want to, you know, live a healthier, longer life. But coffee's like my one thing. I don't drink alcohol, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs. Um, so, coffee's my one thing that I, my, not one pleasure, but my one little thing that I've always had. And I've given that up this month. And it's been really interesting noticing the triggers of when I think to myself, I really want a coffee. So, it's obviously if I feel tired, I really want a coffee. If I'm driving in the car and I, you know, feel a little bit hungry, I really want a coffee. If I walk past a cafe, I really <laughs> want a coffee. And if I smell coffee, oh my God, I really, really want a coffee. Um, but it's just been an interesting exercise in noticing the triggers. Um, but it's also interesting noticing because I'm an abstainer, it's much easier for me to go, I'm just not having coffee for a whole month than to go, I'm just going to have one coffee a day because that one coffee a day will almost be like teasing yeah, than anything okay. else. So it's just, just, you know, experimenting with yourself as well, which is what something I find very fun to do. But, you know, and no, and just paying attention and noticing these things. So obviously like some of the stuff that I've spoken about that's worked for me isn't, you know, especially because I'm an upholder, isn't necessarily going to work for you, Brooke, and the same for everybody listening to the episode today. Um, But it's just, yeah, just have a look at what you're doing, have an understanding of what drives you and then kind of make it easier for yourself. So that thing that James Clear was talking about, he also mentions, you know, not trying to set and habit that, is just not realistic. You know, like so if you're just not a morning person or your kids don't sleep well at night, so they're up three or four times a night, then trying to build the habit of getting up at five o'clock every morning to go for a run is kind of really setting yourself up for failure. So he's very much about, you know, it's much better to go, I'm going to go for a 10-minute walk after lunch in my lunch break than it is to say, I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a half-hour run. So it's all about, yeah, truly being realistic. And if you create that small habit, it's easier to build on top of small habits than it is to 
trying to create these massive be habits definitely all at once and certainly a lot something we all do and I know I've done it is that when you want to change you want to change everything so you want to quit smoking and eat better and go on a health you know and run a half marathon and you want to do all those things at the same time and it's it's just asking too much of yourself um so yeah just choose one small habit and sorry I know I'm just like totally taking over the mic here but obviously this is a passion you're very passionate about habits (laughs) topic of mine um and of course i've lost the thing that i was going to say because it was really really good um the small habits and just pick yes. a small habit so there's habits um oh, and i always forget the name of what james clear calls them but they're kind of like foundational habits in that they if you create the habit of exercising every day that will kind of naturally segue to a habit of wanting to eat better every day yes. um like and a, then if you're a smoker, yeah. then it will kind of make you want to give up smoking every day. So their habits, they kind of naturally and it will give you a better habit of you sleep better every day if that's a habit that you want to create. Um, can you remember what they're called? I can never remember. No, but it's kind of what? like a, a flow-on effect, you know, if you choose yeah. one thing. And that's one that when, when people talk to me about, you know, simplifying their home or slowing down or yeah. whatever. I'm just, just choose one thing and you'll find that over time, given time and given space, uh, it will they will follow on in, you know, in an yeah. order that, that works and that makes sense. So if you want a simpler home, just start by decluttering your kitchen drawer and then just yep. let that flow on to clearing off the bench top and then the medicine cabinet. And you'll find that without a huge amount of, angst surrounding that change it starts to to kind of light the way for you and then as you make this one change and you look back and you think wow my house is simpler my health is better I can now run two kilometers when I couldn't even walk before um you know and then you think well I feel better what can I do to to continue to feel better maybe I can stop drinking so much soft drink maybe I can you know maybe I can uh now simplify the the food that we're eating and it sort of just lights the way as we go i can't remember what he, he yeah there's a specific it, term i've actually had to tweet him like twice to go what is the name <laughs> of those things and i still can't remember but it is something along the lines of yeah they're foundational habits um and yeah if you make one small change and it just naturally leads to other small changes that when they all add up together add up to something very big yeah it's a good place to leave it thanks Kel. thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag Let It Be Pod. Or uh, head over to letitbe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. And finally, if you wanted or felt, you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And, um, you know, we we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.